Seth. Okay. Well, uh, as Pastor Dave uh, shared, I, I'm one of the other Pastor Daves here. And um, just we're going to continue in the book of Galatians together. We're going to be in the middle of chapter 5. If you're with us here, comments, watching online, you can begin looking to get to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if you're taking notes, uh, the title this morning is How Then Ought We to Live? How Then Ought We to Live? Now, my wife Christy and I have been incredibly blessed with two wonderful children. Uh, Reuben is, uh, he's, he's nine and a half already, and Mary is, is seven and a half. She wanted to make sure that I mentioned the half part. <laughs> so we have nine and a half and seven and a half, and, uh, and we're, just, we're just so blessed by them, a gift from the Lord. And, uh, you know, over the t- years that Christy and I have been Reuben and Mary's parents, we have had many great victories in parenting, and we have also had many great shortcomings in our parenting. And if you're a parent, maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Uh, there are highs and there are lows. There are good days and there are days of need of improvement uh, on all accounts. And, you know, these, these nine and a half years, seven and a half years, they have gone by so quick. I feel like it was just yesterday we were coming home with them from the hospital where they were born and I'm told that uh, the more mature you get in life, the faster time goes. I hear some amens out there. But you know, through it all, through the highs and through the lows, through the days, the weeks, the months, and the years, it's been our heart and it's been our prayer that we would raise Reuben and Mary in such a way that they would know, love, and follow Jesus that they would grow up to be disciples of Jesus, that they would have their own faith, that they wouldn't rely on their parents' faith, but that they would have their own faith in Christ. You know, it is the responsibility of of every parent to be the primary disciple-maker in the home. Now, Paul, when he was writing to the churches of Galatia, he wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, a very key verse for us. He says, oh, my dear children. So he viewed the churches in Galatia almost as like his spiritual children. And he says to them, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So just as it is Christy and I's prayer and goal for Jesus to be formed in the lives of our children, it is also Paul's ambition, prayer, and goal for Jesus to be formed in the believers, the churches of Galatia. Did you know today that the formation of Jesus in your life and in my life is still God's goal? It's still his plan. So how then ought we to live? We ought to live our lives in a way where Jesus is formed in us. We call that spiritual formation. Just say that with me. Spiritual formation. We're going to learn today three manners of spiritual formation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, as we begin now, we turn our attention to the Word of God. We pray, God, that you would still and that you would quiet our hearts and our minds from distractions. And God, for these moments that we are together this morning, that we would be fully engaged in what you would say to us from your Word. 
we invite you here and pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the direction of your Holy Spirit, that you, Lord Jesus, would be formed in our lives. To you be the glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to pick up kind of right in the middle of a chapter and also kind of right in the middle of a thought. Now, if you were here last week, Pastor Brian did an absolute phenomenal job teaching us about the freedom that Christ offers every single person. If you missed last week, I want to highly encourage you to go back in the archives online on the app and watch last week's teaching. Christ sets us free. And now, coming right out of that truth, Paul begins to develop, well, what are we now to do with our freedom? How is our life to be lived? Beginning in chapter 5, verse 14, Paul continues, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So if you're taking notes, as we talk about spiritual formation, the first spiritual formation, that's what that SF means, spiritual formation, that we want to develop in us is that loving others as ourselves is the antidote to selfishness, and it is Jesus' expectation of his followers. It's the antidote to selfishness, and it is Jesus' expectation of his followers. Now, as we're coming out of this idea that we have been set free, again, coming back from last week, what are we set free from? What happens when we're set free? See, the temptation, the human desire, your desire, my natural desire, is that we are now going to turn to serving not others, but serving who? ourselves. You and I are naturally inclined to be selfish. Did you know that? We are naturally selfish. So when, we, when we've been set free from Christ, maybe the Lord, maybe over this past week, God did an incredible miracle in your life, and maybe he has set you free from an addiction. Maybe he has set you free uh, from, from, from a bad habit, whatever it might be. Now that there is that freedom, that liberation from that bondage, the sinful nature is right there, and the desire is going to be to fill that space, that void, with something that self-serves. Selfishness is ever-present. Paul writes this in Romans. He writes in Romans on the screen, chapter 13. He says, Let no, out, no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, both here in Romans and in Galatians, Paul uses this word, fulfill. And it has a really unique meaning. This word, fulfill, means that God's word is fully obeyed, and his promises are accomplished. So when you and I learn to love others as we love ourselves, we are obeying the word of God and we are allowing, creating a channel, so to speak, for God's promises to be accomplished. Loving others as ourselves is huge. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, that the world will know you are my disciples. How? By your love for one another. 
Now, we said a few moments ago that loving others as ourselves is the antidote to selfishness. Now, what is an antidote? An antidote is a medicine given to counteract the effects of a poison. For example, if, if you or I were to get bit by a poisonous snake, I hope that doesn't happen. But if that were to happen, you would likely be administered an antivenom, an antidote. And, and what that does is that's going to counter the effects of that poison on your whole body. Well, selfishness is like a poison. Selfishness affects the entire body, soul, and spirit. Selfishness has spiritual consequences. I want to share with you some consequences to selfishness up on the screen. Selfishness leads to disorder and every evil practice, James 3.16. Selfishness puts God to the test. It breaks friendships It causes us to live with a worldly perspective. And did you know that selfishness in your life and in mine hinders our prayer life? James 4.3, it hinders our prayer life. And when selfishness kind of matures, so to speak, its end result is a turning of our backs on Jesus Christ. Selfishness is serious. It has spiritual consequences. It affects the entire person. And it affects every person. None of us are immune to selfishness. But love and loving others as ourselves is the antidote. Why? Because loving others as ourselves, it requires a sacrifice. You see, it requires you and I to lay aside our own wants, wills, and desires for the benefit of somebody else. It's a sacrifice. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus says, I lay down my life for who? The sheep. See, Jesus understood and put into practice that sacrificial love of loving others. Aren't you glad today? that Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, for you, for me, for the whole world? How's the world going to know the love of Jesus unless you and I also love others as we love ourselves? That the world would know we're disciples of Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor David, Some people are just hard to love. I get that. There are some people where loving them is like hugging a cactus. And and no matter like how much you give sacrificially to them, no matter what, they still prick you. Some people, loving some people is like hugging a cactus. The truth is though, that in the eyes of God, he loving us, we're kind of like a cactus to him. You and I can be difficult to love. But that never stopped Jesus' love for us. It never stopped his love for you and I. You know, if we were to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we'd see in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve... They committed a sin, 
right? God, God, there was like one thing God told him, don't, you can do pretty much anything you want except this one thing. And what did they do? That one thing, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the result of that was what? Sin entered the human race and affected all of creation. Today, we are still suffering the effects of sin, and we will continue to until Christ return or take us home. But despite Adam and Eve's original sin, see, God, God knew that was going to happen. It, God wasn't surprised when they did that. He knew it was going to happen. And what does Genesis 3 tell us? After they sinned, God didn't turn his back on Adam and Eve. No, God came on a rescue mission. The Bible says in the cool of the day, God came walking in the garden, calling out, Adam, where are you? Adam, I still desire to have that fellowship and that relationship with you. Adam, I love you. Eve, I love you. So it doesn't matter in your life what you have done or are doing. God is coming on a rescue mission for you. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. Love others as you love yourself, how he loves you. Amen. But that doesn't change the fact that some people, loving them is still like hugging a cactus. So how then do we love people? as we love ourselves. We, we want to look to Jesus. I'm going to share with you three ways that Jesus loved others. Up on the screen, Jesus served both his friends and who? His enemies, John 18. Jesus prayed for both his friends and his enemies. And Jesus gave his life for both his friends, and his enemies. So how are you and I going to love others as we love ourselves? We're going to do that the same way that Jesus loves us. We're going to serve. We're going to pray. We're going to give. Three practical ways we can love others as ourselves. It's Jesus' expectation of us. Look with me up on the screen. It comes from Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Jesus says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, uh, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. It's his expectation. Now, as we talk about loving others as ourselves, it can be fairly easy to do in here. Like, literally, physically, in this room, in the commons, if you're watching online in your living room, it can be fairly easy to love others as ourselves. Maybe a little while ago, you're in a commas, you're like, love your brother, something like that. But in about 30 minutes, we're going to be on Minton Road. <laughs> we're going to be on Minton Road with the same people that are in this room. The same people you say, love you, bro. Uh, you're you're going to be racing to, that, to the exit in the parking lot. 
So, so our loving others as ourselves, it doesn't just apply to these four walls. It applies to the parking lot. It applies to Minton Road. Some of you are going to go to Walmart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, it applies there. But loving others as ourselves applies to every environment and context of life. Why? So that the Lord, the world may know you are disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus demonstrated that. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Paul writes, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death of his son, how much more have been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Do you know today that there was a time where you were an enemy of God? There was a time where, where Scripture just told us we were God's enemies because of our sin. But that didn't stop God from loving us. As a matter of fact, it was His love for you and I that motivated Him to, to come from heaven to earth, to give His life, to lay down His life so that you and I can have life and have it to the full. Some of you today have dreams and desires and and plans for the future. But some of those dreams, plans, and desires for the future are not of God. They're of your own imagination. They're self-serving. So I would ask for you that you would bring those dreams, plans, and desires for your future, and you would bring them before the Lord and say, Lord, am I asking you to bless my plans, or are these yours? Are you calling me, God, to lay down my life for others so that I would love them in the same way that you love me? It's the antidote to selfishness. It's his expectation of his followers. And we say, well, how in the world are we going to do that? Well, Paul answers that question for us in the next section of our text. Look with me, if you would, please. Beginning in verse 16. So, so how are we going to love others as ourselves? How are we going to meet that expectation of Jesus? Paul answers in verse 16. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, uh, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control, against such things there is no law. So, our second key to spiritual formation, to Jesus being formed in our lives, is that we would learn to live under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He's our how. The Holy Spirit is how we are going to live this life that God has set us free to live, by living under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, how are we going to love that cactus in your life, that person, by living under the direction of the Holy Spirit. How are we going to do anything God calls us to do? By living under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Now, that, that simply means this, that we are going to live life under the control, under the authority, and under the direction of the Holy Spirit in everyday life. That that our life is not our own. You're bought at a price. That our life is now governed by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit directs our steps. That's how we're going to do this. Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 5. Paul writes, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Learning to live under the direction of the Holy Spirit, it's going to require you and I to make the conscious decision to engage the mind in the word, the will, and the work of God. It's to say, God, I'm choosing, I am deciding to live under your direction today. I'm deciding to live by your word today. I am deciding to live under the control of your Holy Spirit in daily decisions of the day. It engages the mind. God has given you and I an incredible mind. And that mind that he has given us is to be used to choose to follow Jesus every day. Now, you've heard it said, the battle is where? In the mind. The battle is in the mind. The battle is the battle of the work of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit really has three primary roles in the world and in your life. Let's put them up on the screen. The first and primary role of the Holy Spirit is to point the world to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. So, for example, if you're an unbeliever, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never professed faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is alongside of you, Scripture tells us, next to you, pointing you to Jesus, convicting of sin, saying, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is your hope. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is pointing you and I to Jesus, convicting the world of sin. That is the first, that is the primary role of the Holy Spirit, is to come alongside. 
Well, once a person then gives their life to Jesus Christ, professes faith in Christ, receives forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit comes from being alongside to now where? Living inside. We call that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer this morning, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And God does not give a portion of His Holy Spirit. He gives you all His Holy Spirit. The whole entire, the Spirit of God is living inside of you. Why? Well, the second role of the Holy Spirit when He lives inside of us is to show us how to live our life, to teach us all things. Now, the third role of the Holy Spirit, and we're not going to get into it today, but it is to empower you and I to live the life that God created us to live. That's where the gifts of the Spirit come in, the Acts 1-8, the empowerment. That's for a different teaching for a different day. But what Paul is talking about here in this section of Galatians is the second one. It's the indwelling. It's the teaching us. It's the showing us how to live. And he lists out the works of the flesh, and he lists out the fruit of the Spirit. Let's put these up on the screen and talk about them. First, I want to highlight that as we go through these lists, these are not comparisons. We're not saying, like, sexual immorality is a lot like love. We're not saying that. These are contrasts. Scripture tells us they are in conflict with each other. They are opposite of one another. They've got nothing to do with each other, though the world today will try and blend them. But Scripture makes it very clear that those who live like the work of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is the works of the flesh? Well, Paul lists them. It is sexual immorality. It is, it is impurity. That's simply wasteful, extravagant lifestyle. It is debauchery, indecent behavior, idolatry, valuing others, self, and possessions above God. It is witchcraft, the use of drugs and dabbling in magic arts. It is hatred. It is discord. Discord is simply uh, causing strife with others, jealousy, fits of rage, anger. It is dissension. Dissension is the intentional causing of division. It is envy. Envy is feelings of ill will towards someone who has been blessed. Drunkenness, orgies, orgies is the indulging in sensual pleasures. And then Paul says, with the caveat, and the like. He says, this list is not exhaustive. This is, these are examples of the works of the flesh. But then he contrasts that very clearly with the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these two are in conflict. Why? Because self cannot be inhabited by both the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Now, Paul says those who live like this. So he's not talking about a a one-off time or a a slip-up. He's talking about those whose lifestyle is marked by the work of the flesh He says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's a warning for you and I today. That if this is reflective of our lifestyle, it should give cause for warning, should give cause for for concern. But it should not give us cause for discouragement because there's hope in Jesus. Because he desires to do a new work in your life. He desires to transfer you from the work of the flesh 
to the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit of the Spirit, we're not going to get into all of those today. There's so many great resources. Our bookstore has great resources that break down in detail the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, one of the, the gifts of our church here to you is Right Now Media. Uh, if you don't have Right Now Media, it is a free gift from us to you. You can sign up for it and just send a ring. But there's tons of resources there with excellent Bible teachers who will break down that fruit of the Spirit for you if you wanted to do an in-depth study. We're simply putting these up here today just to show what the Spirit-filled life looks like, the indwelling life. Now, they are in constant opposition with each other. It requires the engagement of the mind. Genesis chapter 4, right after the fall, we see where the mind comes into play. Genesis chapter 4, but if you have a decision to make, refuse to do what is right, then watch out. For sin is crouching at the door, eager to what? Control you. Did you know today that you are either going to be controlled, living under the direction of sin, or you're going to be living under the direction of the Holy Spirit? But you, decision, must subdue it and make it your master. So sin is there. We have a decision to make. And maybe you're thinking, well, wait a minute there, Pastor David. When I gave my life to Jesus, I thought, I was told that he was going to forgive me of all of my sins. Why am I still dealing with this then? It's a great question. Glad you asked. We have to understand the process of salvation. You see, salvation is both an event, a process, and a finality. So when, what happens? What does salvation mean? Well, at salvation, we're going to say when someone, maybe, someone, maybe you're that someone today who's going to, for the first time, give their life to Jesus Christ. When that happens, Jesus does forgive you of your sins. You are forgiven he has separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. Scripture tells us he has no more memory of them. And that is an event that happened. You are saved in that moment and for all eternity, you are saved from sin's penalty and from sin's power. You are saved for the wages or the penalty of sin is death. So for the person who has never given their life to Jesus, who is never received the forgiveness of sins, the Bible makes it very clear that the end result of that life is eternity in hell. And, and, and as we have been talking and teaching and learning all through the book of Galatians, the only way to change our eternal address is through faith in Jesus Christ. So when we profess faith in Christ, at that event, God changes our eternal address from hell to heaven. The Bible says your name, it says rejoice for your name is written in the book of life. That's an event. Second, though after that, we now begin the process. The process is that spiritual formation. Last week you heard Pastor Brian teach us about participating in the process. The process of becoming more and more like Jesus. See, we are, sin has no power over you or I if you're a believer. However, sin does have influence in our life. So life is lived in this area of the process of being saved 
from sin's influence. We're going to talk about that. That's why you and I still struggle with sin. We are saved from it. We're set free from it. But its influence is still there. Last but not least, salvation is also a finality. There will come a day when we're going to graduate from this life and we're going to enter into eternity. And then and on that day, we will forever be saved from sin's presence. See, we're not there yet. Satan is still the, the, the prince of this world. Sin is still here. We're still in its presence. It still has influence on our life. But when we get to heaven, that won't exist. The Bible says no more tear, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. That's coming. But we're not there yet. We're here. We're being saved from sin's influence. The, we call that sanctification. Say that with me. Sanctification. Sanctification is simply this. It is the process of becoming more like Jesus, holy in every area of our life. It is God's will for you and for me that we would live sanctified lives. It is God's will that you would be sanctified, that I would be sanctified, that Jesus would be formed in you. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He says in 1 Thessalonians, he says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy or to live a sanctified life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very one who gives you his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our how. Now, sanctified, what does that mean? Well, I have this block of wood here. And, and this wood is rather rough. You ever just talk a, held a piece of rough sawn wood? You can get a splinter from it. And here I've got some nice sandpaper. Now, when I take the sandpaper and I apply it to this rough wood, what's going to happen? First off, it's going to make a mess. But second off, this sandpaper is going to have a refining or a smoothing effect on this piece of wood. It's going to make it so this wood is more usable for its purpose. You and I are much like this block of wood. We've got rough edges. We prick people. We give splinters. The Holy Spirit is the sandpaper. It's God's will for you and I to be sanctified. Do you know today it's God's will for you and I to be sanded by the Spirit of God? And as, as you, I don't know if you can see in the light or in the camera, you can see that sawdust coming off. Those are rough edges. And you know what? As I do this sanctification process, it's a little loud. It's messy. If this wood had feelings, it would be yelling out, please stop. This is uncomfortable. Create some heat. But you know what the end result is? It's refined. 
It's finished. It's usable. It's glorified. The same is true in your life and in mine. May we simply submit ourselves to the refining sanctification process of becoming more like Jesus. If you're walking through that, don't be discouraged. God will see you to completion. He's promised it. It will happen. Allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your life and in mine. Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 on the screen. You and I, we're a new creation. He died for all. Jesus died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The old is going to be sanded away. And the new has come. God is going to do a new work in your life. He's going to. But what's that going to require? What a mess. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We've already learned that if you're a believer today, the Holy Spirit lives where? Inside of you. See, you and I, we have the Holy Spirit. In my hand, I have an airline ticket. This is an airline ticket uh, to Milan. Um, it's pretty good seats, too. But anyway, <laughs> this is an airline ticket to Milan. And I, I can hold this airline ticket and I can say, I have an airline ticket, and it's to Milan, Italy. Totally got this airline ticket right here. What do you guys think? Pretty cool, huh? And I can just walk around all day and I can show you my airline ticket. But you know what? This airline ticket, I, I could show it all day, but it, it, it's basically useless. It, wasn't, it, it doesn't exist for me to show you that I have an airline ticket. It exists to be used for a purpose. I'm never going to experience Milan, Italy, unless I get on the plane. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. But so many Christians live defeated lives today, not because the Spirit lives in them, but because the, they haven't given their lives to the control of the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm never going to go and experience Milan if I don't get on the airplane. But to get on that airplane, I have to give up control. I have to take my seat as a passenger I have to buckle in, and I have to trust the pilots. I have to trust the plane. I'm never going to experience the destination until I get ready for the journey. That's true in your life as a believer. You're never going to experience all that God has for you if you're not willing to submit to the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. So, Yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit also have you? So submit yourselves to God and just see what He's going to do. And as a church, we want to help you do that. Let's look at the last couple of verses of our text this morning. Verse 24, Paul writes, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. The third and final kind of key to spiritual formation is simply this. Becoming like Jesus requires intentionality. 
First off, no one was born a Christian. Second off, no one was born a Navy SEAL Christ follower. It requires intentionality. It requires training. It requires discipline. It requires a yielding to the Holy Spirit. Now, as a church, just Calvary Chapel of Melbourne, it's our heart to help you learn to follow Jesus, which, by the way, I'm still learning how to follow Jesus. All of the pastors here are still learning how to follow Jesus. Pastor Dave, he'll be the first to tell you he's still learning how to follow Jesus. None of us have arrived yet. So if you're still trying to figure it out, you're in good company. We're all trying to figure it out, but we're doing it together with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God, in the grace of God. But as a church, there are just seven ways I want to quickly share with you that we want to help you, we want to partner with you. We call them our seven disciplines. And we believe that now while these are not the only seven ways to become like Jesus, they're just seven that we've identified as a church to help that we would gather for worship. You know, you do just what you're doing here on a regular basis. We'd spend time with Jesus. You'd connect with community. You heard Pastor Dave share about our vision for the playground enhancement. That we'd fight for freedom. Again, if you missed last week's teaching, please go back and listen to it. Pastor Brian did a phenomenal job. You would join a serve team, that you would live on mission for King Jesus, and that you would invest your resources, not for self, but for the glory of God. So these are just seven ways to help become like Jesus. They are not the only seven. There's seven ways that we've identified as a church. But Paul, in this last portion of the text, he identifies three internal ways, three things that you and I have to do. They're up on the screen. We're going to summarize them. He says you have to crucify the flesh, and these come from the last couple verses. Crucify the flesh, keep in step with the Spirit, and keep your guard up. We talked about living under the control or the direction of the Holy Spirit, that it requires the conscious engagement of the mind. So when you and I are faced with temptation, we have a choice to make. We can either feed the flesh, or we can starve the flesh. But that's your, no one's going to make that decision for you. That's your decision. That's going to require you to, to, as Paul writes, to crucify the flesh, to say no to the sinful desires that are crouching at the door. No one's going to do it. You have to make that choice. But God's given you what? His Holy Spirit. See, sin's got no power over you. Satan has no authority over you. You are set free to make that choice. Second, Paul says that we have to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean go make your plans and then ask God to bless them. Keeping in step with the Spirit means asking God, God, what are your plans for my life? How, how, how is my life to glorify you in every area? And then when the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, that term, keep in step, that Paul uses literally means get into line as if in a marching line and just start marching in the direction of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 16, 9, a, a man uh, plans and what is it? A man makes his plans, right? But the Lord determines his steps. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct you. And last but not least, keep your guard up. As by the grace of God, you and I become more and more like Jesus. 
as that spiritual formation takes place, as Christ is formed in us, there's going to be the temptation to display something called spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is simply, hey, look at me. Look at me, follow Jesus. Look at me, take these steps of faith. Look at me, memorize all this scripture. Look at me, look at me, look at me look like Jesus. That's called spiritual pride. Paul says at the end of this portion of text that deals with becoming like Jesus, he last lists, don't envy or provoke each other. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to you and I. He's saying, be careful. Stay humble. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Love others as you love yourself. And keep in step with the Spirit of God. Together, we're going to learn how to follow Jesus. So how then ought we to live? We ought to live lives where Christ can be formed in each one of us. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Yeah. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for, God, just your love for us. Your word says that you first loved us. And Lord, this morning, God, we talked much about your word and your love for us. And Lord, you desire to sanctify our lives, to sand out those rough edges. But God, we confess that, that, that that's difficult. It's uncomfortable. In many ways, uh, it, it is painful because the, the flesh is dying so that the Spirit can give new birth. Lord, your word says that that, that spiritual fruit comes from abiding in you. You said in John 15, if you abide in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit and fruit that lasts to my Father's glory. So God, as we go through this sanctification process, step by step, help us not to quit. Help us not to settle for anything less than you have for us. God, we thank you that you have committed yourselves to us, that you promised that you will see us to completion. But God, we pray now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're walking through, if you're living through that sanctification process and, and you, feel like, you feel like just giving up, would you just raise your hand now? We want to pray a special strength over you by the Spirit of God. If you're walking through that sanctification and it's getting hard, and you're starting to question. Maybe your faith is starting to falter. Amen. Any hands? Online, there's a number on the screen. Amen. Amen. Yes. 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 God, we thank you that every good and perfect gift is from above. That you promise never to leave us or forsake us. That your word says you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. So we pray now with eyes closed, head bowed, hands raised, to search our hearts, to know our way. We submit ourselves to the work of your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us, equip us, empower us to live lives worthy of our calling in you. 
We love you, Jesus. Have your way with us. Have your way with your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Church, we love you. If you're new, if you're visiting with us, I want to invite you to go out to the center ring. Uh, we want to meet you. If you have any questions about the church, we would love to answer them for you. Last but not least, if you need prayer for anything at all, maybe it's prayer to, to, for strength to go through the process. Maybe today you realize it's time to give your life to Jesus Christ. It's time to be set free, to be forgiven of sins. Come up front. I want to meet you. I want to pray with you. We have a wonderful prayer team up here. We love you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Have a great week. And remember, Mitten Road exists for our refinement. Good day. <laughs>